If you'd like to take a Bible and turn to Psalm 116. As you know, at the Breakfast Club, what we're, what we're trying to do is, um, yes, we're talking on topics, but for each topic, we take one passage. Uh, we will, I mean, at each talk, we refer to a couple of others. But the key thing is to, as it were, work our way through one passage, which is what we're going to do today. And the idea of that is, I think, to help us all um, in our own personal Bible study to do the same as well, to work our way through a passage uh, and just see what we can get out of it. So um, we're talking about living fearlessly, the fear of death. And the subject of death is probably the last taboo in our society. We dress it up with flowers. We uh, use euphemisms like passing on. Um, And there's a terrible, terrible thing that people sometimes have at funerals um, called death is nothing at all. And if Charles and I know Tim, and I'm sure John, have anything to do with it, if people want to have it, they'll steer them away from it. Because, of course, death is something at all. It it is. And... uh, People hate to talk about it, and yet, as Benjamin Franklin said, there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. And you probably know the um, saying of Woody Allen, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And right now, we have, of course, in our society, in our world today, what can only be described as the death cult of ISIS. Yeah, it really is nothing, uh, it really is a death cult. Now, at Easter, we remember that death and God's power over it are at the heart of Christianity. And the psalm we're going to look at today is a wonderful song of gratitude by a man who recently had a brush with death, and it's full of encouragement. And obviously, as you will all know, this whole topic is very relevant for me with Charles's illness, uh, a brush with death out of a clear blue sky, a husband who had never been on any medication at all, who hated to talk ever about being ill, Suddenly, in a service station on the M1, he's telling me, I think I'm having a heart attack. And, of course, he was right. It was a minor one, but it was a heart attack. And all the time we were up in Leicester, um, which was uh, nearly, nearly two weeks, it was a good ten days, the Psalms meant a huge amount to me, actually. And uh, not this particular one, but Psalm 16, verse 8 I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And uh, that's what's kept us going. Anyway, the author in Psalm 116 is unknown, but the circumstances are clear. This was a place of danger. He suffered what he called a great affliction. And if you look at verse 11, he may have had something to do with the betrayal. What I'm going to do is take it through in sections. And you've got um, some outline sheets there beautifully decorated by Hannah. <laughs> I just said, could she photocopy them? And she said, oh, Trisha, I just thought I'd do a little bit of logo for you. So it's brilliant. Um, and so we'll go through it. I'm going to read out as we go through. So first of all, close to death. So let's look at uh, verses one to four. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me, The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. Now, verse 1 is a summary of the whole psalm. He called to God for help and mercy. And because God heard his cry for help and delivered him, he loves God and will always call on him in the future. He then describes his uh, experience. 
He was as if ensnared and trapped by death, caught up in it. (coughs) He suffered anguish over the thought of the grave or Sheol, which is the Old Testament idea of the place or abode of the dead. And he describes how in verse 3 he felt overcome by trouble and overwhelmed with sorrow. Um, If you look at verse 3, you'll see that. Now, these words repeat virtually word for word David's words in Psalm 18, verses 4 and 5, where he says, The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. Now, I don't know if the words in verse 3 reminded you of anything. Um, If you listen to Matthew 26, verse 38, it says this, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In Gethsemane, Jesus knew what it was like to be overwhelmed by the thought of death, to be sorrowful and troubled. And I think it's lovely that that sort of juxtaposition of what we read about the psalmist here and what Jesus described as feeling. And I think it's very special to know that Jesus knew what it was like to be overwhelmed by the thought of death, um, to be sorrowful and troubled by it. Now, obviously, he was facing something that you and I will never face, um, the anguish of taking on the sin of the whole world for all time. But the fact is, he was looking death in the face, and he felt overwhelmed. And the fear of death is very powerful, and the fear of it could hold us in bondage. Um, <coughs> when I first came to London, um, my first job was in the city, in the overseas office of the Bank of England, and I shared a flat just off King's Road, not far from here, with three girlfriends. And um, I had a relationship uh, with a lovely man, a lovely Christian man, who I'd been going out with for some time, and I felt it wasn't right, then I ought to break it off, and I finally did. Um, I took far too long to do it. But after that, I went through a kind of... Um, I can only describe it as a kind of fear of death, stroke fear of cancer. And I remember walking down King's Road one day to Sloan Square Tube, and there over the Royal Court Theatre with the words cancer, there was a a play on called that. And I just had this sense of the fear of death around everything. I I suspect, you know, psychologists would have a field day and there was depression at the end of this relationship, etc. But the fact is it was a fear of death that really gripped me. And um, two of the most powerful and special verses in the Bible speak of why Christ came to the earth, Um, a figure attested in history. And it says this, it's Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, And free those, and this is the bit, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, I had somebody very close to me growing up who had exactly that. Um, Just talking to her, you could tell she was gripped by it. And uh, if you've ever had that fear, and I certainly have, you wake up in the morning and it's there. You go to bed at night and it's there. You don't want to go to sleep in case you die while you're asleep. Um... It can, it can haunt you. It can be a terrible thing. And it really does feel like being uh, enchained and enslaved, enslaved. And many other fears, you know, like the fear of hospitals, the fear of flying, may in fact be a disguise for the fear of death. 
Um, I think that's certainly true. But here is the good news. God's power over death is total and final. And he does not want anyone, as Hebrews 2 indicates, to go on in that slavery and bondage. So what happened to the psalmist? Well, we're now going to look at verses 5 to 11. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. We're coming back to that last verse in a moment. But as he <coughs> went through this near-death experience, first of all, he discovered much about God's character. He discovered that God is full of grace. You'll see that in verse 5. He's full of compassion. He protects what the psalmist describes as the simple-hearted And the NIV study Bible tells us that that means the person who is childlike in her dependence on and trust in the Lord. God is all-powerful, verse 6. No situation is too hard for him. So this situation of danger and great need was no problem for God. And then verses 7 and verse 12. God is good all the time. And when you're really going through it, as many of you will know, that is sometimes the hardest thing to cling on to, that God is good. And uh, again, through um, Charles's illness, you know, more than once I had to say, there was a lot of uncertainty at times, and I had to say, God is good all the time. Probably not many of you know that probably he was far more ill one day, four days after we got back from Leicester, when he collapsed at home and we had to dial 999 and the ambulance came and that was flashing blue lights to St. Thomas's and into the recess ward because one of his medications had made his blood pressure too low. And in a way, he looked far more ill then than when he had his heart attack. So, but just when you're going through it to be able to say, God is good, I'm clinging on to that fact. Because <clears throat> as we all know, and Hebrews 2 talks about the devil and... Um, You know, some people, our friends and so on, may say, well, how can you possibly believe in a devil? Well, the guy who wrote The Exorcist said, I have problems sometimes believing in God, he said, but I have no problems believing in the devil. I have no problems believing in a force of evil. And certainly the devil, you know, however you you picture him, and of course he's not a cute little figure, you know, in red tights with horns on his head. He is a force of evil behind everything that is evil in this world. And um, he would want us to believe that God is not good. When we're going through it, there you are. A little voice is saying in our head, God is not good. Or even God does not exist. And when you're in desperate danger, all those qualities that I've just gone through about God, full of grace, all-powerful, good, are of great comfort. The second thing we see in these few verses is that he was delivered by God from this great danger. And deliverance was total from death from tears and from stumbling, verse 8. So he was fully restored and brought back to the land of the living, verse 9, where he said he would walk before the Lord. And I think that's a lovely thought for us to have today, uh, whether we're talking about the fear of death or not, to have that determination that we would, as we go out from here, go to our offices, wherever our place of work is, that we would walk before the Lord 
which means consciously living in the presence of the Lord every moment. You know, a boss says something horrid. I'm living in the presence of the Lord. Um, a deal doesn't go through. I'm living in the presence of the Lord. Um, somebody is in a bad way uh, at work. Perhaps a relationship's gone wrong. And what do we do? We have to say, I'm living in the presence of the Lord. How can I bring the Lord's help to that person? And um, that deliverance meant rest for his soul. Look at verse 7. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. He knew rest from fear and sorrow and anxiety. But I want to say something here which is very important. He was able to say, yeah, God delivered me from death. And of course, the one certainty in, that we all know in this room is unless Jesus returns first, we will all die. Sooner or later, we will all die. And we don't want to get to the point of saying, well, God has not delivered me from death. Therefore, he is not good. And, and therefore, my soul need not be at rest. Because the wonderful thing that we're going to see in a moment is when God delivers us from the fear of death, we can look death in the face. We can face it peacefully. And, you know, as a vicar's wife, more than once I have been called to the bedside of somebody who's dying. And... Um, on several occasions, um, it's been wonderful to see somebody come to Christ as they were dying. And the difference in them as they accepted Christ and realized that Christ had conquered death, um, the peace and uh, was it just wonderful. And um, Charles's, um, Charles's first vicar's wife died not very long ago in Oxford. And um, she's a wonderful lady who lived to a great age. And she said to her, she said to her, said to her vicar, I'm so looking forward to getting, getting to heaven, to seeing him face to face. And her vicar thought she was talking about her long dead husband. And her vicar said, oh, yes, you know, Raymond's going to be there in heaven waiting for you. Not Raymond, she said, Jesus. <coughs> I can think of another lovely lady called Ruby in Middlesbrough who came to Christ in that way just before she died. And I remember Ruby saying, um, I'm so looking forward to seeing Jesus. A total transformation in that lady over a month. And I remember being in there one day, and a neighbor came in who knew perfectly well that Ruby was dying. And bless her heart, this dear neighbor couldn't face it. She said, oh, Ruby, when you're better, you know, we'll go down to Saltburn to the caravan. And Ruby knew, and I knew, and indeed the neighbor knew that was never going to happen. Because Ruby was going to somewhere much better. So um, that is a key thing to remember. And, you know, in Daniel 3, we read the three of Daniel's companions, you know, who refused to bow down to the image. <coughs> and Nebuchadnezzar says, either you worship this image or I throw you in the furnace. And they said, do what you like, O king. Um, we know that God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we will not bow down. And, of course... You know the story, they're thrown into the furnace. As Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he sees a fourth figure there, clearly an angel. And they are totally delivered. And the, the detail in Daniel, where they say not even a um, hair on their head was um, singed. So we, we must remember that, 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 that God's deliverance does not necessarily mean we will not die. And we will all die one day. But as long as we're in Christ, we're going to a much better place. My mother came to live with us in the last six months of her life. And Claire and Sophie were four and six. And obviously we were praying for Granny to get better. 
And uh, then came the time when I, I knew I needed to say to the girls, you know, that, that they need to understand that might ha not happen, that granny might not get better in their sense. So we said to them, you know, God may make granny better by taking her to heaven. And I think that is the kind of thinking we need to have. So what I'm kind of saying is whether we live or whether we die, God is good and we can conquer that fear of death. So um, verses 10 and 11 are a kind of parenthesis. The psalmist looked back at, to the time when he first cried out to God. He took all his trouble to God. And clearly a, one cause of his dangerous situation was the fact that people had made false accusations against him. That's in verses 10 and 11. But now let's turn to God's power over death for us today. <clears throat> because the psalmist is looking at it before Christ had come to the earth. And we are looking at it as Christians because we can see all of this in a far clearer light. In the New Testament, we see how Christ came to the earth as a human being in history. And I think very few people today would doubt he was a historical figure. We see his power over death in that he brought people back to life. And in one such incident with Lazarus, he said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. But he suffered as we do, even to the point of dying. And he died, as I've said already, the death that none of us can, because in his death he took on the sin of the whole world, including your sin and mine. And the agony that Christ went through in Gethsemane, which we talked about earlier, was the agony of knowing what was about to take place. He was going to take the sin of the whole world on himself, and in that moment he would be cut off from God the Father, with whom he had the most amazing, amazing relationship. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt cut off from God. I had, uh, before I committed my life to Christ, I went through a period of three weeks when for the first time in my life I doubted the existence of God. I was um, <coughs> reading <coughs> Spanish at university. I had to read a book by a Spanish philosopher called Unamuno in the Christmas vacation. And it was about a priest who loses his faith in life after death. And it, that hit me really hard because I thought, gosh, do all the priests and clergy I know, are they kidding us? Because this priest didn't tell his little flock that there was no such thing as life after death because they lived such a miserable life on earth. He wanted to have that dream, el sueño that there was a better place, though he no longer believed it. And it really hit me, and I thought, oh, goodness. So I went through this three weeks of blackness and darkness, and then one day I opened Hebrews, you know, I just opened it, I'd never read the book before, and there it said what I've just quoted, that Jesus has suffered in every way as we have. And I remember in my university room saying aloud to God, if you're there, God, Jesus, didn't know what this feels like, this feeling totally cut off, wondering if you're even there. And you can imagine, quick as a flash, into my mind came the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that was key for me, because from that moment on, I had a little plan for my life, and I was really frightened of committing my life to Christ. And I just said, Lord, if you went through that for me, there is nothing I won't go through for you. And there and then I committed my life to Christ and I didn't care anymore what people thought about me if they thought I was weird for being a Christian. That was key. So that death of Christ, those words from the cross, are really, really important. But the great thing is we know that he died and we know that he rose again. 
because death could not hold him. And Jesus thereby showed that he had conquered death. And as a lawyer, for me, the evidence for the resurrection, which we're not going to look at now, is incontrovertible. The evidence is so strong. And anyone who says, you know, you can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they clearly haven't read the Bible and they clearly haven't looked at the evidence. And perhaps there'll be another occasion to do that because it's so clear. So Paul, as a result of knowing that Jesus had conquered death, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 was able to say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And Paul also says in 2 Timothy 1.10, Christ Jesus destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, <coughs> Paul was saying, look, this is what Jesus has brought. There's hints of it in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. But here is the actual fact that Christ destroyed death, i.e. he took the power of death away and he's brought life and immortality to life. The possibility of living forever with God in unending bliss has been brought to light through Christ. And by committing our lives to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we too will share in that resurrection. From the moment we make that commitment and to use Jesus' words, are born again, we actually pass from death to life. So every person here who's listening to this talk, if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have already passed from death to life. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And I like to illustrate this by thinking of two lines. If you think of a line here, and at the beginning of this line is the day that you're born, and at the end of that line is the day that you die. We all know the day we were born. None of us knows the day we will die. Then I like to think that below that is a parallel line, (coughs) which starts somewhere along the top line. It's the moment you become a Christian and you are born again spiritually. And that can happen when you're six or seven or 66 or 36 or whatever. It starts there. And the thing about that line is it runs parallel with your physical life. But then your physical life ends, but your spiritual life never ends. It goes on. And that is what we mean by eternal life. And that's what it means that you crossed over from death to life. And I just think that's the most glorious fact. So we can say with Paul, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. So going back to Psalm 116, the whole psalm is a picture of the Christian life. Humanity is in the grip of death. It has us in its clutches. And death came into the world as a direct result of sin. So humans are kept in bondage by sin and Satan. And what we celebrate at Easter is Christ's death and resurrection. We too can share in that if we put our trust in the risen Christ, if we too believe as the psalmist did. And when we really grasp what Christ has done for us, we too will respond as he did. Look at verses 12 to 19. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. 
I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we all know, don't we, that when it says saints there, it simply means those who are set apart for God. We're not to think of plaster cast images uh, reserved for special people like um, Mother Teresa. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. His response to two things, gratitude and commitment, when he realizes what God has done for him. He feels he can never repay God for what he's done, but nevertheless, he says he will lift up the cup of salvation. Verse 13, this cup was thought of as a thanksgiving used at the Passover to remember the Exodus, used at Holy Communion as we do today to remember God's Passover of us and our rescue from death and sin. He says he will pay his vows to praise the Lord. Um, which is wonderful. And then thirdly, he will serve God truly, verse 16. So swiftly following on from gratitude is his commitment. Because of what he's seen God do for him, he wants to serve God fully and committedly. Um, And that's what I was trying to explain about me at at St. Andrews at uni. You know, once I'd understood what Jesus had done for me, I was able to commit my life and just wanted to commit my life to him. Now, I don't know if you notice in verse 15 that rather odd little phrase, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, the NIV study Bible has a lovely little comment on this. It says that it means precious not in the sense of highly valued, but of that which is carefully watched over. When one of God's people dies, he watches carefully over it, over every detail. And again, that can be a very beautiful thing to see relationships may be healed. Uh, We had a wonderful man here called Christopher Guinness who was a hospital chaplain on the staff for some time. And uh, he used to say to people when somebody was dying and perhaps the family had gathered around, he used to say to them all gathered there, now have you, is there anything you all want to say? Are there things you need to do now that you would regret not doing later? And that, that is very special, very special. So carefully watched over God sees to it and again when my mother was dying I kept saying to my GP you know when will it be when will it be and um, she said I I honestly can't tell you and then we had a lovely cleaner um, who rang me at work one day because I would go to work as a lawyer in the mornings and then come back and our lovely cleaner Kath just was there in the mornings and she rang me up at work one day and she said Tricia your mother's not in pain but she's restless and I got home and I looked at her and I phoned my brother in Ireland my brother in London and my sister in Somerset and they were all there when she died and again I would say her death was carefully watched over by God he told me that this was the moment to get the family now it doesn't always work out like that but whenever something like that happens you will be able to look at the whole situation and see that God carefully watched over it let me quote from a 19th century preacher called Spurgeon On these words, the statement of the text refutes the gloomy thought that death is a ceasing to be. 
When God says that the death of a believer is precious to him, it's clear that no tinge of annihilation is in the idea. We know that to die is not to renounce existence. We understand as Christians that death is but a passage into a higher and a nobler existence. The soul emancipated from all sinfulness is presented without fault before the throne of God. No purgatorial fires are needed to cleanse that soul. The self-same day she leaves the body, she the soul, he talks about it in the, in the feminine uh, tense, feminine gender. The self-same day the soul leaves the body, it is with Christ in paradise. Let us not malign the grave. For the believer, it is no more a prison, but an inn, a halting place upon the road to resurrection. And when Charles talks about this, he often says that for the Christian, death is not a full stop, but a comma into the glorious place of heaven. I just want to finish. Uh, that was quoted by uh, Spurgeon. Uh, but I want to finish with um, a hymn that we all know. We know from 1 Corinthians uh, 15 that after we die, we will receive new and perfect bodies which are free from sin and disease and are immortal. And if you ever worry about eternity being boring, here is my hint. Think about a time in your life, and we will all have had them, when you were so happy you wanted time to stop. You think, this is so amazing. Please let it stop. Please let time stop. Please let it go on forever. Well, I think when those moments happen, God is giving us a glimpse of eternity. God is saying, that's what eternity is going to be like. So amazing that we will never want it to stop, and it won't stop. Here is words from In Christ Alone. There in the ground, Christ's body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much today that death was never your intention. We thank you that death came into the world through sin and uh, your glorious plan of salvation, which was marked out before the beginning of time, was put into place. We thank you so much that you allowed your one and only son to die, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I just pray if any of us listening to this today are afraid of dying, that you would release us from those chains. We, we, saw, we thought, saw those chains in Psalm 116 when he talks about the snares of death. And I just pray, Lord, that you would release any of us who felt that because we know that in Christ there is nothing to fear. In Christ, uh, death has been conquered. In Christ, we will rise again. We thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for that glorious truth and I ask that you would send each one of us out in the world today, freed from any fear of death we might have had, 
and able to talk to others about how they too can be released from that fear. We ask it all for the glory of Jesus. And in his name, amen.